You're welcome to this edition of Living Wholeheartedly. As a people, the Methodist Church in Ireland are committed to living wholeheartedly as followers of Jesus for the transformation of the world. And we hope that these conversations will be a resource for you as you do that, as you live wholeheartedly uh, with and for Jesus where you are. Our guest uh, this time is the Reverend Brian Anderson. It's really good uh, to uh, to have you in this conversation, Brian, and thank you for it. Thanks, uh, Brian is the uh, superintendent of a new circuit in East Belfast, the East Belfast Circuit, and superintendent of East Belfast Mission. Brian, we're going to talk about the work you do, um, but before we do that, tell us a bit about yourself and for you as Brian, what living wholeheartedly as a follower of Jesus for the transformation of the world means. What does that look like for you day to day? Um, first of all, thanks for the invitation to be here, Heather, and to be part of this. Um, wholeheartedly for me has altered as my ministry has altered. And I think contextualizing where I am always influences what wholeheartedly, wholeheartedness looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm an experiential, spiritual person. Uh, I know the cerebral and I, I know the Word of God and we have to base the Word of God, but I like to experience it. And so I'm a centering prayer person. I'm finding God out and walk, so I walk a lot. Um, and that heartfelt thing is important to me to, mm-hmm. to sense God through the truth that you, you, you understand and you pray about and you, you, you gain. Um, but it has to have a practical light working for me. And so where I'm currently at, um, social justice mm-hmm. sits very strongly in my experience of Jesus. As a follower of Jesus, where I see the injustices around the community that I'm serving and the church that I work with are serving, that screams at me. And therefore, as I live out wholeheartedly for Jesus in Belfast East and East Belfast, um, what people have to live through challenges me about what I have, because I'm very blessed to have what I have in terms of family. And I see families that are, you know, broken in so many ways and the relationships are fragile and, 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 and fractured. So I, I'm blessed with my family. I'm blessed that I live in a home. I can drive a car. You know, I'm comfortable. I remember during COVID, this discussion around the importance of your garden. Mm-hmm. Why was I blessed to have a garden? And there was a family with nine kids living in a two up, two down with no garden. And I wrestled with that. God, what is that? Why me? Is that privilege? And it was a real struggle. So those things, as I try and work those out, what it means to be a follower of Jesus in those contexts, it challenges me into who I am and recognizing the blessings I have, but also then the challenge that comes with people's situations are because of some of their choices. I can't be responsible for that, but just, it just doesn't seem fair, Lord. And, and I'm, I'm cross about that and I don't feel that's right. And there's an agitation that I'm quite placid, mm-hmm. but there's certain things that do rile me and, and the injustice around some of our working class, Protestant working class environments, I'm sure it applies to lots of other places as well, particularly exercises my 
So quite often God is hearing me say, God, why? Jesus, I can't get this. Please help me understand and give me a patience about it, but also don't make me so placid that I'm not effective. So that's what wholeheartedness means to me in terms of my current context. I'm blessed, but also it's some things just aren't right. So what do you do with that, Brian? Right. So there's that you're seeing around you. There's the integrity that says this isn't right, that cries out to God. Mm, mm. Why? What do you do with that um, spiritually as well as how it works out in life? I I think you need to go back, despite what I've just said, go back to your scriptures and see Jesus in action. Mm -hmm. So how he dealt with people as individuals, you know, um, when he was interrupted doing certain things, he was patient enough to go and deal with what was before him and then go on to the the, the, the situation he was going to, like Jairus' daughter and the yes. interruption he had with the, the woman bleeding. Um, so trying just to bring it back to the seat. Well, what did Jesus do? And when Jesus was angry or cross, he actually did something with it. Mm-hmm. And he just didn't leave it there. So the question I have to ask myself often is, well, if Jesus did that, what's the next step for me? Which is kind of the question you're asking me. And for that, it's quite often is getting to the people who have these needs and trying to be around them to understand it and say, right, okay, what could Jesus do into that situation? And try and be in and around it. A lot of the Old Testament is full of injustice stories and poverty stories. Uh, and have got to say it all in its full canon, of course you do. But for me, it centers around what Christ is in those situations and what he, the heart, I suppose it's looking for the heart of Jesus to bring it to whatever. Yes. Yes. And there's something in what I'm hearing that's about keeping that soft heart that keeps being bothered by that because we can get a bit crusty and hard. And you can blame lots of people. There's lots of people to blame. And that isn't what we're all about. I think we do need to agitate, but we also need to love. And it's keeping, somehow trying to keep that balance. Mm -hmm. I have to say at times I'm very cross with the government and I have to rein myself back Mm. and just say, you know, you're not a politician. You're not a counsellor. You're a a person of Christ and that should be be different. And what does that look like? Well, I think you're right in saying it's a soft heart. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. the heart that says, you know, if we're all made in the image of God, then we all have dignity. And therefore, that dignity uh, needs to be uh, respected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and each person, each person's an individual, and respecting them and bringing the integrity of saying, okay, where can we? I'm not going to say do something to you because I think the church is good at that. Mm-hmm. Rather, how do we journey with you? How do we alongside you? You know, we're, we're good at doing too. Yes. I believe very strongly we need to be with Absolutely. and journey with. That means relationship and that means mess and that means two steps forward and uh, two forward, one back, that sort of thing, yeah. the frustration of all of that, living with all that messiness. Uh, and but being comfortable with mess completely it's a totally different mindset isn't it rather than helping from above but actually as if anybody's above absolutely yeah absolutely well there's a there's a big power imbalance yeah that's right we are the people who have Mm -hmm. and our churches largely we have we're we're you know we we're very most of us are reasonably comfortable i would be my guess that's my experience in the methodist church in ireland so we have so how do we bring with christ that 
imbalance back to being more a relational one yes. rather than doing two. Um, and I, and I, there's a mindset change in that. There is. There's a sense of saying, okay, this is a child of God. This is not someone I'm here to help. This is someone whose integrity and dignity is as valid as mine. It just be that they're in a particular hole at a particular time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it's trying to balance that power. That the church with power can be a dangerous thing. Church with love and relationship is a different thing altogether. It is. It is. Just a completely different use of power, isn't it? In a it way? is, absolutely. So tell us about how that's worked out in EBM, in East Belfast Mission. Yeah, yeah. I, I love being, I say quite often, I love being in East Belfast Mission, but I hate that we're there. Okay. Because we deal with uh, four or five particular issues. Uh, EBM has a homeless hostel mm-hmm. called Hosford House, uh, and we house 26 people, uh, and we've some developments with that, which is very exciting. And we have an employability project, so we get people back into work. Uh, our peace and reconciliation piece is around tourists and the teaching and instruction of the Irish language. Um, we then do church and community projects, a counselling service, um, uh, luncheon club, some of the stuff that most churches would get involved in. Uh, and that's the, f- the one that faces into the poverty the most uh, and... When I leave here, I'm going to meet a lady and she's coming to get £15 from us to top up her gas and electricity because she's run out again. Um, and then the congregation sits around that um, um, uh, and fueling it. So what I love about EBM is we can manage a lot of things. So there's people in the congregation now who were homeless, who journeyed through Hosford, who went to the employability programme and got a job and join us for worship on Sunday. So we're privileged enough on this particular Sunday that the president of the Methodist Church is coming. Yeah. is coming. David's coming. And the lady making the tea on Sunday, uh, Jackie, uh, she was homeless at a time. Wow. She found job, she found faith, and now she's expressing her faith through the, the congregation EBM. So that's the journey that quite often we can offer. I love the sense that we can love people in lots of different ways mm-hmm. uh, and meet as many needs as they present. And we have a number of services that we can offer. Fantastic. So there are stories of individual and community transformation or glimpses of that to mm-hmm. be seen, Brian, in mm-hmm. the midst of the... So I hear that I wish we weren't there piece, yeah, <laughs> which is the yeah, prophet's yeah. heart, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. But there are stories to tell. There are, yeah. Yeah. Ah, uh, some of them break your heart. Um, um, I think of a, coming down the stairs of Skenos and um, there was a queue of six people waiting to have their gas and electricity cards topped up. A queue of six people. The last lady in that queue, I know her. Um, she's a single mom of two kids, both in primary school. And she was in her carer's uniform. She'd just come off a shift carrying in a nursing home. And there she was waiting. Sorry, I'm struggling here. Uh, they got 15 pounds from us. It shouldn't be. It, it, it shouldn't be, you know. And she's working. She's mm-hmm. part of the working poor. Um, so, you know, that wretches your heart. There's so many people. We notice now that uh, for our luncheon club, people are coming at 11 o'clock. The luncheon club isn't on to half 12. They're not leaving to four o'clock because A, we're warm. 
not only warm people, but the building's warm. And we uh, provide a nice meal and they just stay and chat because they want to be on their own. So that, just that sense of breaking the isolation, breaking the week, all of that. Um, we've also been very good. Um, TBF Thompson gave us some money and we're running some lovely Alpha courses. Yes. And we have an Alpha course running with St. Matthew's Roman Catholic Church yes. down the road uh, between ourselves, a Church of Ireland expression uh, called The Gathering, right. a fresh expression. And the three of us are working together and running an Alpha course, uh, just let, helping people explore faith. Uh, we find daytime works well for us. Okay. We, do, we, do, we do very little in the evenings. Right. Um, and people just coming along and exploring faith and journeying with us in faith. Very good. Yeah. Very good. So in the midst of those stories and in the midst of what you're seeing and the people who you've just told us about, what what do you think living wholeheartedly looks like in the middle of a cost of living crisis for the Methodist Church in Ireland and beyond it and be straight let us hear your heart Brian what what are you longing for that living wholeheartedly might look like people are just living from day to day when you have poverty it's where does the next meal come from mm -hmm. where does um, how do I pay this bill if my freezer breaks I have no way of buying a new one. If my cooker breaks, I have no way. So it is living hope for them is getting through the day, getting through the week. So whatever we can do to help with that, then I think it is about agitating those in authority, those in power, uh, who, those who can make the decisions that will put money back in people's pockets. So hope for them, hope for folks who are living in poverty it's not too far ahead. It's helping them just step by step, cope, cope, working alongside them and journeying with them. Somewhere along the line, why are you doing this? Become a lover of Jesus and here he is. But it's not being willing to accept that this is how it should be. The phrase I hear frequently is, it is what it is. That's a hopeless phrase. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to push against that. It's not what it is. You, you know, a lot of the people we deal with are great people. They have got an intelligence. They've just been lived in an environment and told some of them that this is how it is. And there's more to life. Life in all its fullness, wholeheartedness. But it's a little gradual, small steps. It's achieving um, uh, a nutritious meal for your family. Mm -hmm. And we'll help you do that. It's around what are healthy relationships between man and woman? What are healthy relationships between children? Mm -hmm. What does family look like? So just EBM's um, done a strategy review and we've looked at it and we've been told we can't give people the answers, but we can provide the building blocks. So we're trying to provide the building blocks in which people can build their lives. So if that's employment, great. If that's a home, great. If that's forming good relationships, good. If that's looking at your spirituality, good. So it's just providing a series of building blocks on which you can build your life mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. So it's small steps and keeping a relationship going with folks to sustain those small steps into something, hopefully, 
hopefully it's better. And I love that picture of the building blocks because actually that speaks to every individual's dignity, the point you were making at the beginning, doesn't yeah, it? Thanks, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And your your picture, was it Jackie, who's who's now giving back? Yes, and that, yeah, yeah. that just yeah. is right and good and healthy. Yeah, yeah. So... If I'm listening and I'm not part of a church that has mission in its title, yeah. what are some of the things that you've been encouraging every local church to do? Yeah. And I do hear conversations around churches whose heart is, this is the biggest crisis. We're hearing about poverty and the news all the time, but we just don't know where the people who are poor in our community are. Mm -hmm. So I love the heart. It's just how to connect. The first three things come to mind is go to your local food bank. It's good to put a bag of pasta in the trolley at the front of your church on a Sunday morning. But why doesn't the church council go to the local food bank? Go as a council and listen to the stories. There, Those who are involved in poverty, whether that be CAP or Trussell Trust or Kintsugi Hope, we can tell you a myriad of stories. Unfortunately, there's a myriad of stories out there. Mm-hmm. But it's saying, what's, what do you bring back and what can you then do? But at least go as a council and then come back and say, okay, now, what have we got available? What resources have we got available that we can help with this? Is there people we can train up to be advice counsellors? Is there people who can volunteer to go to the local food bank? Is there people who can um, visit someone, phone someone, uh, be around people? Mm-hmm. So I would encourage churches, church councils, to go and put poverty on your mission agenda. No matter where you will be, there will be people who are poor. we also got to recognise there could be poverty in our pews. Because, you know, if you have a nice car, a nice house, the interest rates are going up. Your budget's going changing. Mm -hmm. The, The heating costs are changing. How do we create an environment, a safe environment, where those in our pews would feel safe enough to share the pain that they're going through? That's a challenge. Uh, And that's probably where life groups and small groups play into this, Mm -hmm. because that should be a safe space. People can trust what they're going on there. So, you know, if you have those, and maybe develop relationships there. Um, Social services is another way that we could think about, you know, finding out what's going on in our community without giving any names away. But where are the pressure points that social services are finding it difficult? And is there a befriending scheme or, or some nature of activity that we can get, that you can get involved in that uh, identifies it? I think you also need to put some money aside. Mm-hmm. Money in people's pockets is what it's really about. So if, if your superintendent's fund um, which the minister or the minister's fund or the benevolent fund, mm. we call it superintendent's fund, EBM. You know, can that be directed towards identified poverty? Can you form a scheme with a local shop where, or somewhere who will know the people who are poor that you can put a few vouchers in and buy a bit of food and the butcher knows that he can give that food out on your behalf, whether you want to be identified or whether you don't. Mm-hmm. There's a variety of ways, some practical, some educational, um, and make poverty a strong prayer emphasis within the life of your church, mm-hmm. um, whatever town, city, rural rural committees. And, and let's not be naive to think this is a urban thing. Absolutely not. This is a rural thing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and, and farming communities particularly are sensitive about confidentiality and I, and I fully respect that. But, you know, there, there could be things going on behind closed doors that would, would frighten us maybe in, in a, any situation, but maybe rural as well, um, that we can, you know, work into and try and help relationships um, the f- uh, to help those situations. Brilliant, thank you. I'm just, as I listen, brought back to the point about relationships that you were saying at the beginning, actually, that, you know, when we're in relationship with one another, whether that's, in, you know, within the group who gather on a Sunday morning for church or actually relationship with the wider community, yeah. it is about being with, isn't it? And totally. listening to those stories, being alert. It's not us and them. And being it's trusted. Us. Okay. Also being trusted as mm-hmm. well. You're, you know, all you said is right. I'll, yeah. I'll just add into what you said. Yeah. That we're trusted. Yeah. That we, we have integrity uh, and they know they can trust us. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And in terms of Methodism, Brian uh, has been very much part of what the Council on Social Responsibility has been doing in the Methodist Church in Ireland um, in partnership with Trussell Trust and uh, Christians Against P- Poverty, uh, helping us as a people to respond in some of the ways that Brian's been telling us about uh, and to push behind again that prophetic action. Mm. So why why do we have to have food banks? It mm. should not be. No, and to be a people who are yeah, addressing yeah. those background issues. Um, Absolutely. Anything to say into that, Brian? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of talk at the moment about warm spaces. Mm-hmm. And we're coming into a winter, and if it's a cold, cold winter, it could be very, very difficult. My fear is this. The food banks are only meant to be there as a temporary measure. Yeah. But now we've created a culture whereby we rely on them. Mm-hmm. And I... Dread to think if we create another reliant in the warm rooms, warm spaces. That's easy for me to say because mm-hmm. I have a jacket, I'll put it on and I'll be okay. But from a societal point of view and whatever we want to create as a society, to be a handout culture is wrong. Yeah. And I just hope we don't create another handout that people become reliant upon. Trussell Trust are very good in that say they want to do themselves out of business. Yeah. And that's what they're there for. And I and I do believe that's a sincere yeah. um strap line for them. Yeah. Um so how do we break away from a, a handout culture is is, is a challenge. Mm-hmm. So I do believe we've we've got to speak to the government. Yeah. We've got to push them. Um there's no executive at the moment, but there are certain things the government could do our current departments could do. For instance, um, the Department of Economies could um, suspend those people who are in arrears with their repayment of their benefits. If they suspended that for six months, there'd be a significant number of people in Northern Ireland who would have at least £20 in their wallets and £20 in your purse is a heck of a lot when you don't have much coming in. That doesn't need the executive. The, the minister could make that decision today. Okay. Uh, and I think we as a church and we as people of faith need to hold people accountable for that mm-hmm. um, and, and, and speak powerfully about that. Yeah. Um, and I think we've got to try and create a, a, a society that is not reliant on handouts. Uh, so that's about employment, fair wages, uh, dignity, um, about worth, all those things, um, and creating a, 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 an economy that um, people can find 
uh, a full of uh, a proper job and a good job and, and find our way through that through that. Absolutely. Uh, in CSR, we took the view that poverty was going to be the issue that was going to be around society for the next number of years. And so we've set up with a partnership with CAP, um, with the Trussell Trust, um, with some members of CSR to highlight poverty. And with on our part of the website, on the MCI website, uh, there's lots of resources there uh, to work together. We wanted to educate. Mm-hmm. At the point we started, we wondered... Do Methodists believe there's poverty in Northern Ireland? I think it has escalated to such a point that I can't believe there's someone saying, I look at those spongers, they've got a big flat screen TV in their house. How are they poor? I hope we're beyond that as Methodists. They probably bought the TV when they had a bit of money. And and which one of us made all the right decisions with our money? Um, Sometimes I think we forget the mental health pressures of constantly living with how do I make the day last? How do I make this, this 10 pounds last? Uh, so we want to do an educational piece. We want to do an encouragement to pray. And we wanted to do, well, how can you get involved then? So that's the three parts to it. So there's, there's uh, video resources. There's information in the Methodist newsletter. There'll be a podcast coming out soon, not in competition with yours, Heather, but uh, one where a guy called Charles Pemberton from England who's done work in the area of poverty uh, is uh, going to do a series of podcasts for us that will come out next year. Uh, And keep on just keeping the issue in front of folks. And now we move on to the questions you asked earlier about how do we get involved then? Mm -hmm. How do local churches get involved? And and we'll begin to realise some ideas around that. Brilliant. By the time we uh, put out this podcast, you'll have been with the president of the Methodist Church in Ireland to Seymour Street Methodist, Mm -hmm. just highlighting how one local church has begun to get involved and act in partnership with some others. Can you tell us just in anticipation a little bit about that visit? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was minister in Seymour Street um, and I was there when a little organisation called Damask was set up alongside EBA, or sorry, Seymour Street. And um, I spoke to the chairman, Lindsay, there, and he says, yes, come to us because we're really good. And I thought, OK, well, if you think you're really good, I will come to you. Um, because they're really good because they do this. They link up uh, with the local food bank. Very good. Not only do they send the food up, but they send volunteers up. So if you go to the food bank and, and, and receive a little chit to get whatever they can offer to you, they also can offer to you the CAP advice. So that if you're in poverty and you need a program to get you out of poverty. And then they can send you back to Damask because Damask has an advice line and uh, benefits uh, information. And so, and the church is involved as well with volunteers in in both of those parts of it. So it's a nice wee circular organisation that illustrates that where we do work collaboratively, we can meet a multiple part of people's needs. Brilliant. Multiplicity of people's needs. So we thought it'd be good for the president to go and witness that and and, and see that and and highlight uh, what's possible where church and Christian organisations come together uh, for the betterment of that local community. Brilliant. And we're going to see a few clips from that uh, now. (laughs) 
So my name's Lindsay. I'm the CEO here at LCC Community Trust. And we run a number of community initiatives, but our first one was Lisbon Food Bank. It started in 2013 through a group of churches who wanted to partner and support their community. So in 2017, we started our social supermarket project. So it still focuses on food and food poverty, but we also put in wraparound support. So we'll just get alongside people, journey with them, we'll help them figure out their budget, we'll be able to refer them for debt advice, we'll be able to help them with benefits checks, filling out forms, just all that kind of really basic stuff that people just need a little bit of support with. We also have a kind of well-being and resilience program that we do with them and so that just really focuses on encouraging them with their mental health and um, just working with them so that they're in a stronger place. I think for me what I found really impressive is the way in which they are working together with so many other agencies. The way in which a client can come here looking for help but then the way in which they wrap themselves around in a holistic way and don't just say, okay, we're in charge of a food bank, so we're going to give you some food, but just engaging with that person and saying, where can we need, how can we help? And then being able to reach out to other agencies and say, this person needs help in this area, in that area, in the other area. So I'm really impressed with how they're able to, how they're able to do that. So we have a really good connection with uh, the churches across Lisburn. We have over 50 churches who support the work of Lisburn Food Bank. But one of our special connections is with Seymour Street Methodist and the work that they do in Damascus. And so we share resources, we work together, and one of their advisors actually spends one day a week here just to help us with our clients and being able to offer really valuable advice and support to them. And it's a real credit to them, the way in which they're working together with Damascus with CAP, with Trustal Trust, the local churches. It's amazing to see the number of churches that have gathered together to support this. But having one central place, to me, is, is just so much more effective. Um, and obviously going forward, as we move towards Christmas, it's going to be hugely pressurized for all of these services. You know, how can we help the community this Christmas when people are under in our own congregations and outside our congregations where people are really needing more and more support and encouragement with the cost of living crisis. Brian, thank you very much for, for the conversation uh, this afternoon, for the ideas you've sparked. And um, I think most of his eyes listened, thank you for your heart for this, because um, as I've listened, I've been reminded of God's God's heart mm -hmm. for all people. That's part of who we are uh, as Methodists, that we affirm the truth of God's love that extends to everyone. Yeah. Um, and and the God who by his spirit is is often at work yeah. um, in unexpected places or yeah. in people who feel that couldn't be me, God. Yeah. So thank yeah. you for drawing us into that and to that prophetic voice that not allowing us to step back but actually speak into and act uh, into the issues uh, that are around and for telling the stories as well um, and reminding us that 
this is not an us and them issue, mm. but actually mm. uh, we're in this together okay. and responsible to, uh, in this together. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, a reminder before we pray of the resources that Brian has pointed to uh, on the Irish Methodist website, if as you've listened are actually far beyond this, uh, you felt God stirring your heart to do something uh, about the fact of the cost of living crisis. Uh, there are resources on the Irish Methodist website that can signpost you to church resources and to other organisations with whom you might uh, want to partner or to visit, uh, as Brian has suggested. So um, please don't let yourself just lapse into, oh, I'll do that tomorrow, uh, if God's been stirring your heart uh, as you've been listening and watching today. Uh, but as we finish, Brian, can we pray together? Thank you. Loving God, we, we pause to remember your presence. And as we've spoken to remember together your nature, that you're the God who has shown us your heart for those who are uh, poor, that you're the God who throughout time has spoken through prophets, that you're the God who cries out for justice where there's injustice, who cries out for mercy in situations where folks feel that there is no mercy, who longs for life in all its fullness for all people, that you're the God who doesn't stay distant, but who sent your son to live a life like we live and whose son died so that nothing might separate human beings from your love. So, Lord, we thank you for who you are. And we pray for those of whom Brian has spoken and the folks we know. And for us ourselves, if we're living with the reality of the impact of poverty, for all who woke this morning worried about how they'll put a meal on the table this evening. For those who honestly don't know how they're going to pay the next bill or top up the card when it needs to be topped up for electricity. For those who lay awake last night worried about themselves or their loved ones. God from whom no one is distant. We pray that each one would know your presence. And we pray, we long for the day when your church would rise up and speak of these things, speak out for justice, speak out for mercy. And when your church would act so that all might have enough, so that your church would live sacrificially, so that the resources that you have would be well used and you've given would be well used and shared. And we pray for your blessing for Brian in the role into which you have called him in Belfast East and in East Belfast Mission and for all who work with him that in the life of those Christian communities in the life of EBM the love of Jesus would be seen and felt. We surrender ourselves into your hands and our heartfelt cry is your kingdom come. Hmm. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. 
So thank you for watching and for listening. And please uh, subscribe to the podcast, but far more important than that today. If God's Spirit stirring your heart to do something about the reality of poverty, uh, please act on that. Thank you.